Coming up on today's bonus episode of the Locked On Bucks podcast, we do a little offensive free agent primer. Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks. And at Bucks underscore Nation. Happy weekend, everybody. We have bonus episodes. David does not share my enthusiasm of the bonus episodes. Woo-woo. There it is. Because bonus episodes were his idea. You know what? We got a <laughs> lot going on right now. There's a lot of there's a whole lot of negative going on. So we thought, you know what? Let's give the listeners a little bit of a reprieve, a little bit of a distraction. We have Legal tampering beginning in just two days. Free agency is less than a week away. Let's talk a little free agents. Let's have ourselves a good time. And let's get away from all the uh, all the yuckies going on right now. Does that sound good? Yeah, it sounds great. All right. So what we're going to do is uh, this is going to be the offensive player episode as we dive into this free agency primer and David, why don't you explain what it is that we're doing so that, you know, it's not like you didn't explain it to me six times off the air, but (laughs) I kind of still don't understand. And I'm just here for the ride. Yeah. I I mean, it's really, it's really pretty simple in in the root of everything. So we've been spending a lot of the off season, obviously talking about, you know, the Buccaneers by itself locked on bucks. Welcome. You know, I hope that's not a big surprise to you, but uh, now we, we we have free agency coming up, like you said, legal tampering starting Monday if everything goes as scheduled, which is still to be determined. But hopefully everything continues along with some sort of normalcy, uh, at least with the NFL calendar and legal tampering can begin Monday afternoon with free agency following shortly thereafter. And so I figured so I thought it'd be nice, you know, uh, like you said, for the weekend to kind of give people, you know, if you're stuck inside or you're not able to do kind of your normal weekend routine. Maybe we can help you out, give you a little bit of a distraction, like you said, James. And I fear we we change it up a little bit, and we're going to focus completely on the outside picture. So we're not talking Shaq Barrett. We're not talking Jameis Winston. Actually, we're not talking quarterbacks at all because I think everybody has talked quarterbacks enough. It's now time to wait and see which quarterback we're going to talk about for the foreseeable future after the team makes their decision. There goes my um, list of free agents. <laughs> but so we'll, so we'll look outside the Bucks. We'll look outside of Tampa, and we'll go through this list that you found from NFL trade rumors. And yeah, we'll just kind of go back and forth, similar to the way that Evan and I were doing on the show with college prospects. You know, uh, I'll go with one with one potential free agent that I think the Bucks should look at. Say why? You know, uh, if I can put a dollar sign on it, maybe I'll put a dollar sign on it. But you know, just kind of a, a free flowing conversation to give Bucks fans kind of one last glimpse into the free agent picture as we get into, again, legal tampering free agency coming up. Uh, not necessarily all marquee names, but, you know, uh, there will probably be a few marquee names in there, and then we'll, we'll see how it, how it develops. Sounds like a plan to me, good sir. So um, why don't you go ahead and, uh, and kick it off, brother? 
Yeah, sounds great. And I'm going to start with a marquee name, at least one that's been a marquee name as of late, because he's he's the the best free agent, I feel like, for this team that they should go after. Uh, I'll, I'll, honestly, would also be one of the most expensive if they were to go after him. But I think that the, the investment would be worth the return if they were to do it. And that's uh, Tennessee Titans offensive tackle Jack Conklin. He's a natural right tackle. He's young. He's 26 years old. Um, so you're not going to get him for you know a rookie wage by any means, but you're going to get him. Um, you're going to pay for him, but you're also going to pay for him in, in a in a place in his career where theoretically he's probably hitting his peak. Uh, he's a guy who who can do everything you need him to do on the offensive line. He's immediate upgrade on the offensive line, not just from what you currently have under contract with Demar Dotson's contract ex- expiring and all that, but even over Demar because I think we pretty much all have talked about it all offseason that Demar Dotson. You know, everybody loves the guy. Great, you know, locker room guy. I think fans love him for his effort and and kind of his story of how he came into being an NFL starter. But when we're talking about in between the lines on the grass, you know, you need a guy who's really coming out there to really kind of take somebody else's lunch, and that's Jack Conklin. Um, an immediate upgrade to the running game because of what he does, an immediate upgrade to your pass protection because of what he does. Yes, he's going to cost a pretty penny on NFL trade rumors. He is the number twelve overall free agent in this year's group. Um, I think that's a pretty accurate uh, assessment for him, but that's kind of the guy outside the quarterback position. That is really the first guy that I would call if I were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers looking to improve the offense at all in free agency. Yeah, I, I can't say that I disagree with you in any way, shape or form. It, it is going to cost a pretty penny, but you know, it, it is worth it. Of course, you know, as, as you mentioned, it all hinges on, on the cost and, and everything like that. I mean, I, I think it'd be great to get them. I don't think they would go that route, but I would definitely be doing cartwheels of happiness if they did. So with that, I'm going to go in kind of the polar opposite direction. This is not a marquee name. This is not someone that would get fans excited, but I think it would be a valuable addition to the team. And we're going to stay in the great state of Tennessee, in the city of Nashville, and we're going to stay in the same position group with the Tennessee Titans. And I'm talking about Dennis Kelly, offensive tackle from the Tennessee Titans. He's 30 years old, and this is this is not a replace DeMar Dotson kind of acquisition. This is a protect ourselves in case whoever we have replacing DeMar Dotson or, you know, should something happen to Donovan Smith, this is to protect us. Um, he's not going to be expensive. He's he's coming off of a two-year, $3 million deal with, with the Titans. He only had uh, $400,000 guaranteed at the time of signing. Like, this is a depth move. But if there's one thing we learned last year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it's that they need depth all the way across that offensive line. So yeah, the big the big thing to talk about is going after, you know, that right tackle or, you know, getting someone that could that could play right tackle and eventually replace Donovan Smith over at the left side. We talk about Alex Kappa and how he really came into his own during last season, got a lot of experience, but he suffered some injuries. You have Ali is going to be Ali. Uh, you know, Ryan Jensen's going to be Ryan Jensen, but they need depth. They had a lot of players along the offensive line miss time last year. So 
I'm looking for them to make those kind of moves as well. And, and I think, you know, somebody like Kelly could come in. He can provide that depth. He has plenty of experience. He's, he's been in the league for seven years. He's 30 years old out of Purdue. Uh, you know, not an expensive piece, but a necessary one. No, I like it. I mean, at the end of the day, like no matter how it turns out, everybody understands that this offensive line needed depth, you know, desperately last year. Like, like when, when Donovan Smith left for the short period that he left for, I mean, it, it really, you kind of had a feeling around like just the Buccaneers in general that this was the beginning of the end and just things were just going to get worse from here. And I think I remember people even talking about, you know, get Jameis out. You might as well just get Jameis out because he's about to get destroyed if DeMar, or uh, not DeMar, if, if Donovan Smith isn't in there. And uh, pretty con, pretty, pretty contrasting opinion from the past. So when you when you have a, an offensive lineman as embattled as Donovan Smith has been, and fans are talking about how disastrous it is for him to be leaving the game, that really kind of shows just how much depth you really didn't have along that offensive line. So I mean, no matter what, have a guy like that. It, it's great to have you know a veteran presence and someone who can get the job done if if he needs to be called on for whatever uh, period of time. All right. Well, David, who is your next guy? So my next guy is a player that I really never put a whole lot of thought into up until I read Taylor Jenkins's battle plan on Pewter Report. So I'm going to fully give Taylor credit for this uh, if he's listening to this episode. Um, that's wide receiver Nelson Aguilar, who he puts in his plan and, and uh, kind of projects that the Buccaneers could probably get him on a two-year, $6.5 million deal, which I think sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, Nelson Aguilar is a guy who had a lot of upside and a lot of potential when he came out of college w- during his time with the Philadelphia Eagles. Just, it really has not gone well consistently enough. And Nelson is, is a guy that, you know, uh, he's, he's had, you know, Philly fans are our special breed of, of people and Aguilar. I really just, I just feel like it's time for that relationship to end. Uh, like, it's almost like each side kind of holds on because they still feel like that potential that was once there might still be there and they want to see if they can capture. I think this is it. I think it's done. I don't think Aguilar is coming back at all. Um, I don't know if any public statements have been made, but I just, I don't, I don't believe the Eagles and Nelson Aguilar are, are a thing for the future. Um, he is coming off of an injury. So that's a little bit of a, of a tricky situation, obviously. And that's kind of one of the things with all the stuff going on that people are worried about is, you know, are, are you going to be able to bring in a guy like Nelson Aguilar for a physical because obviously right now you can't. Um, so how are they going to circumvent those those issues and talk about those issues? And who knows? Maybe it's one of those things where, look, you know, this this contract is dependent on you coming in for a physical when the time is allowed and you have to pass the physical, et cetera, et cetera. But he's a, he's a guy that could execute in the slot. And you look at what the team was able to do with Scotty Miller, how much of training camp he really missed. Uh, I mean, he missed the the joint practices with the Miami Dolphins. And that's a valuable, I mean, Bruce Arians went on record saying that those joint practices are the most valuable parts of training camp, honestly, from a team building standpoint. And he missed all of those. Um, so, so he was, he missed all that. He missed all that developmental time on the field learning yet. When he came back, he was able to grow fairly quickly uh, through the little experience that he did get. And of course ended up getting injured himself and having to miss the rest of the season. So, but it's kind of a testament, not only to the player and his dedication and you know to his craft and all that, but it's also a testament, I think, to the coaches that they were able to tap into that potential as quickly as they were and kind of get him up to speed as quickly as they were. So if they bring in a guy like Nelson Aguilar, he's now refreshed. He's got a new scene, a new team, a new logo. You know, uh, it's almost like buying a new suit or getting a fresh haircut. You know what I mean? You just kind of stand up and you feel good. New beginnings and all that kind of stuff. 
And if this coaching staff can get out of Nelson Aguilar some of the potential, some of the production they were able to get out of Scotty Miller, then you got two really good guys who can come in. Uh, Chris Godwin, you know, obviously lined up on the outside with Mike Evans in, in two receiver sets, but it gives them flexibility if they want to start. Chris Godwin lined up in the in the slot in three receiver sets and then motioned some guys here and there to manipulate the defensive alignment they can. And Nelson Aguilar is a guy that can come in there, play the slot, or if you want to mismatch, push him outside. You know, maybe you get a safety on him that's not as athletic, or or I mean, if you're really lucky, you get a linebacker on him, and then you just it's free chicken. Um, but I really liked it. It was a it was it was a really good part of Taylor's battle plan. So I really, you know, it kind of put his his name in my head. And then doing this episode, I really wanted to bring it up. I, I don't hate it. I really don't, uh, especially as, as far as affordability. And you you look at, you know, Aguilar had all the um, all the potential in the world. And, yeah, for whatever reason, it just it hasn't been able to work out. So, yeah, I definitely uh, I definitely wouldn't hate it for my next one. I'm actually staying in the same position category. Um, and I'm going to go with somebody who went from the top of the world to kind of all but forgotten. And I'm talking about Randall Cobb. If you're bringing, if you're bringing in Randall Cobb to play that Brashad Perryman role, I think it works no matter who the quarterback ends up being. This is a guy that can play on the outside. It's a guy that can play on the inside. You know, a, a combination of a, a proven guy like Cobb, teaming up with Godwin and Evans. So, you know, Cobb doesn't have to be the guy. He didn't have to be the guy in Dallas. He was the guy in Green Bay, and he's kind of fallen out of favor. With Dallas, he signed a one-year, $5 million deal. That is $1 million more than what Brashad Perryman got last year. If you can get him along those same lines, I think it's the right move. You know, Cobb is coming off a season where he he played in 15 games and finished the year with 55 receptions, 830 yards, and three touchdowns. That's not the kind of production that's going to be you know, setting any contract records anytime soon. And I think Cobb would realize that being able to play in this style of offense with these other receivers and, and OJ Howard and Cam Braid and, and playing for Bruce Arians is going to give him a great opportunity to shine again. He knows he'll be involved. He saw how much Brashad Perryman got involved last year. Once there was, you know, a kind of a rapport built up and, and some trust there. So taking a look at, at somebody like Cobb who, you know, is, he, he's a few years older than Brashad Perryman. He's he's about to turn thirty. Um, you, you don't need him for a five year deal. You you're looking at him for one year, maybe two years. But he's also not the kind of player that teams are going to seek out to be their their number one guy anymore. And I think he understands that. So he'll have to look at it from an aspect of what place gives me the best opportunity to win. What place gives me the best opportunity to contribute? Which offense would be the most fun to play in? And I think a lot of those factors, he can look at Tampa Bay and and believe that they're a viable option. If you're looking at like a two-year, $9 million deal, two-year, $10 million, you know, maybe with six or seven guaranteed. I mean, that, that deal with the Cowboys, it was one year, $5 million, two guaranteed. Rashad Perryman's was one year, Four million, four guaranteed. So, yeah, he's not going to break the bank the way he would have if somebody had brought his name up in 
in 2017. And I think he would add a lot to this offense. Yeah, he's a guy that I actually looked at as well, and I considered putting him in uh, in, in my three as well. So, yeah, obviously I can't disagree with it if I was going to put him in there myself. Uh, good pick for all the right reasons. And, I mean, again, he's a guy that you, know, you can bring in and, uh, again, kind of mold Scotty Miller as you go and, if you know, however the draft pans out, et cetera, et cetera. And then you never know what uh, what group of free agents going to be available next year. And, yeah, it, it just it, it makes sense for all the right reasons. So we just have to see if it actually happens. All right. Well, David, who is your final offensive player here? Uh, I'm staying in Philly, and I'm going with a guy that I I was really a big fan of coming out of Indiana. Uh, He landed with the Bears. I really thought for a minute there that he was going to be kind of like the next uh, good running, solid running back in Chicago, kind of in that Matt Forte, you know, his uh, trail. Not like that he's a direct player comp to Matt Forte, but, you know, just kind of the next guy there. Chicago had 2,000 yard rushing seasons. Uh, with the Chicago Bears, ends up with the Philadelphia Eagles. Jordan Howard is is the next guy that I want to talk about. Um, he wasn't on pace to get a thousand yards when he got injured last year, but he was on pace to get around 800, 900 yards, which is about what he had in 2018. I don't know, like he just he feels like one of those guys, and you know he he hasn't missed a lot of games other than 2019. He'd only missed one game in his career up until that point, and that was uh, in his rookie season in 2016. It just, he almost kind of reminds me, honestly, of Kyle Orton, which is another Chicago Bear. So maybe it's something about Chicago. Um, but I always kind of felt like Kyle Orton, you know, had a lot of potential, had had a lot of possibilities to, to do some really good things in the National Football League. You know, maybe not necessarily a Hall of Famer by any means, but a guy who can make a couple of Pro Bowls, maybe hit an all pro team here or there if he's in the right situation. And just every turn of his career, it just felt like something happened, you know, either. You know, you get a guy like Tariq Cohen who just like kind of blows up and takes over, and now all of a sudden you're second fiddle, or you get, uh, or you, or your your team's leading rusher like he was in 2019, and then you get a stinger that turns out to make you miss six games, um, and Miles Sanders blows up, and now you're just the you know you're just the forgotten guy who who carried the team's rushing attack for the first half of the season, whatever. Um, Kyle Lord was a lot of the same way. I mean, I don't know if everybody remember kind of the first time Kyle Lord really got a shot is when Rex Grossman went out with an injury. And Kyle Orton comes in and basically takes the Bears to the playoffs. And then they get to the playoffs. And I don't remember who the coach was, but the coach says that Rex Grossman gets healthy. And the coach says, yeah, Rex is our starting quarterback. We appreciate Kyle for everything he did, but Rex is our guy. And Rex goes in there and their season's over. And Kyle Orton, you know, basically has never heard of it again in Chicago, goes to Denver, kind of gets an opportunity. And then I, don't, I can't remember if it was Jay Cutler or if it was Tim Tebow or I don't know, something, but like, Basically, it's like every time, you know, Kyle Orton gets an opportunity, it's like, oh, look at this next hot, you know, item over here. We're going to put that in. And hey, Kyle, thanks for everything you did, man. Thanks for being the solid, consistent player. Go sit down and watch this super sexy player come up here and really not do much. But hey, thanks for everything you did. I kind of feel like Jordan Howard's the same thing. Like, again, Tariq Cohen kind of comes in and, and unseats him there. And now Miles Sanders comes in and kind of unseats him there. So, you know what? Let's bring him to Tampa where we've already got kind of the new hotness in Rojo who can, who's got more wiggle than Jordan Howard does. He's faster than Jordan Howard is. Um, may even better be a better uh, pass catcher when everything is said and done than Jordan Howard is. But Jordan Howard can come in, have a role in the offense as not a really a workhorse in the, in the traditional sense of 20 carries per game, but get him 8 to 12 touches a game on top of getting Rojo, hopefully 15 to 18 touches per game, if not more, if you're protecting a lead. And I really think Jordan Howard can come in and, and not recapture kind of that primary back role that he he looked like he was going to have in Chicago, but be a very valuable contributor uh, to the offense. And 
because of kind of the way his his you know prestige, if you want to call it that, has kind of trickled off. I mean, he was never like considered one of the best in the league anyway. But uh, you're going to get him for real cheap, and you know, I know a lot of people are kind of eyeing running back in the second or third round. But something that I talked about previously is the more holes this team can fill before they get to April, the more flexibility they have when they get to April. And there's nothing that says it. And I understand I'm doing to Jordan what I just said. I don't like that's happened to him. But if they get to day two and the choices are, you know, a trade back Clyde Edwards, Alaire, or, you know, this defender, and they decide to take Clyde Edwards, Alaire. Hey, if, if Jordan Howard ends up being kind of the third wheel and the odd man out on that one year, two year deal or whatever, with very little guaranteed money, I mean, at least you got him if Rojo goes out or Clyde gets injured. You know what I mean? Um, there's nothing wrong with having that security blanket there. And I feel like you're not going to break the bank to bring him in. So the upside is is a lot higher potentially than what the cost is going to be in your in your salary cap. I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. Um, same time, this did not go at all the way I had planned it because I saved I saved my last one for last intentionally. And what ended up happening was we both went offensive tackle. Uh-huh. Then we both went wide receiver. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now we're both going running back. And now you're going Derrick Henry. I'm going with David Harrison's Oh no. Stamp of approval favorite free agent Melvin Gordon. Yikes. Now this is contingent on cost. I am not one of these people that is 100% all in on Melvin Gordon. And just says, give him what he wants. I think I could be wrong. Tends to happen. My wife tells me I'm wrong all the time. I think 2019 was a wake up call for Melvin Gordon. That he's not quite the back that he thought he was. And I think it's going to cost him some money this offseason. Now, Track has him at an estimated $8 million per year. No, I am not signing Melvin Gordon for $8 million a year. I'm not doing it. However, if you shave a couple million off of that number, I like Melvin Gordon. I've always liked Melvin Gordon. I don't like him as much as David does, but I like him. This is a guy he can run the ball. He can he can be a threat as a receiving option out of the backfield, and he can pass block. He is a three-tool, three-down back. But what we saw in Los Angeles is that He's not the three down back like a Saquon Barkley or an Ezekiel Elliott or one of these top tier backs. He is a good back that can lead your running back by committee, but is not someone that you have to lean on. And because of that, you know, Austin Eckler is getting a big payday. You you take a look at, at Melvin Gordon. And the other thing that concerns me, of course, is is the fact that he has played in 16 games only once in five years. Now, last year it was a self-imposed problem because he thought he was Le'Veon Bell, and he most certainly is not. But this is a guy that, you know, he had over a thousand yards in 2017. He was three yards short in 2016, having only played in 13 games, only starting 11 of them. As far as as far as the receiving, he's got a career 75% receiving percentage. He has gotten 70% as far as his receiving percentage all five years. If you throw him the ball, he he's going to bring it down and he's going to make plays. So I 
I like what Melvin Gordon can bring to this team. Again, I'm not breaking the bank for him. And honestly, if my if my options are Melvin Gordon at let's say it's like four years, 25 million, um uh, yeah, 19 and a half guaranteed, or it's Jordan Howard for the same amount of time. With you know, with 13 and a half guaranteed, I'll take Howard. Don't get me wrong, but I think an opportunity to bring Melvin Gordon into this offense, pair him up with Ronald Jones, I think it could be pretty dynamic. But you know, again, I'm not the Melvin Gordon fan that you are, David. See, it's funny that you say this because now you put me in a, a, a tricky situation because, because you're writing the Melvin Gordon uh free agent spotlight for bucksnation.com. Oh, it's already been written, and it's up right now. Oh, like, that's right. <laughs> as people are listening to this episode, it is live on BucksNation.com. Oh, and that's fantastic. I was thinking it was going up Sunday. No, it's definitely going up. It's a, it definitely went up already. Well, unless you're listening to this before 9 o'clock Saturday morning. If you're listening to this before 9 o'clock Saturday morning, then it's going up at 9. And there's a poll at the end of it and, and ask the readers and the fans to vote on whether or not they would want the Buccaneers to go after him and in what capacity, you know, like an all out type of approach or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't like to poison the water. <laughs> so when I wrote the profile, I tried to write it as even keel as possible, even though I still kind of feel like a little bit of my own opinion got in there because these profiles are not intended to to sway anybody's opinion so much as it is just kind of deliver Here's the free agent. What do you think? Right. Listen, Melvin Gordon holding out, first of all, in 2019 uh, was laughable. It is such a mistake. It was laughable. And it was from the jump. Um, and it, it reminded me of and, and we're going to bring up Kobe, you know, may he rest in peace. When when Paul Pierce was getting ready to, to retire and he was, you know, going around the other arenas and stuff and Draymond green, as much as I don't appreciate kind of how his personality has developed over the years, at least on the court uh, was, was heckling him saying, you know, they don't love you like they love Kobe, you know, type of thing, just trying to get under his skin. I, you know, that's what I thought about when I heard Melvin Gordon was, was holding out. I immediately wanted to say you are not Lev Bell, and it didn't even work for him. So, like, at least in that in the basketball scenario, Kobe got his farewell tour. Every arena appreciated him. Every fan, you know, in the, I'm not sure. I'm sure not every fan, but at the time, but you know, every fan base celebrated who Kobe was, what he was to basketball. Lev Bell is not the Kobe of running backs, but at least when Le'Veon Bell held out and he said, "I'm doing this for the greater good of the running back group because we're an underappreciated group, we're an underpaid group, et cetera, et cetera." You look at Lev Bell and be like, okay, if there is a guy in the NFL who can make this stance, it can be you. I still thought it was a mistake, but I was like, if anybody can do it, it can be you, right? Melvin Gordon's not that guy. No. And Melvin Gordon found out pretty quickly that he wasn't that guy because his holdout didn't even last till October. Yeah. Like he's not even the best running back on his own team. And honestly, when Melvin Gordon came back to the Chargers, I hoped uh, because I feel like it would have been the better decision for the team that they kept Austin Eckler as the number one guy. So they said, welcome back, Melvin. Here's your number two role. Enjoy. Because that's what he honestly deserves. 
Um, listen, Melvin Gordon is not a bad running back by any means, okay? But he is not he's not a number one guy. Um, he's a complimentary guy. And for this team, honestly, I feel like he is a a he's a version of Ronald Jones who has already peaked. Like Ronald Jones has upsides. So Ronald Jones, you know, so we went, you know, if we went attribute by attribute, like I think Melvin Gordon is a better receiver than Ronald Jones is today. I think Ronald Jones and Melvin Gordon honestly might be a push as pass blockers. I think as a pure runner, like between the tackles, I honestly think Ronald Jones is better as a, as a between the tackles runner than Melvin Gordon is, even though neither of them that's, you know, that's not their forte. But if you had to break it down those three categories, runner, running, blocking, and receiving, I think Rojo's the better runner. I think they're a push as blocking, and I think Melvin Gordon's a better receiver. And while you love to have a running back that can catch the ball, that's not the primary function of a running back. So sure. I give I give Ronald Jones the edge there, and I think Ronald Jones has untapped potential as a runner, blocker, and receiver. So I'm I'm thinking of the Spider-Man gif where they're pointing at each other, except in this case, uh, Melvin Gordon is Miles Morales, Spider-Man pointing at the real Spider-Man and Rojo is the real Spider-Man. Um, unless you think Miles Morales, Spider-Man is cooler and then flip that analogy. Um, nobody will ever be cooler than Tom Holland, Spider-Man. Tom Holland is the Marvel Spider-Man. Yes, I agree. So and, and and here's the thing too, right? So the the Los Angeles Chargers, there seemed to be a, a little bit of surprise when the Chargers decided to extend Austin Eckler instead of of going back to the negotiation table with Melvin Gordon. Well, for one thing, they made an offer to Melvin Gordon. Now I don't know exactly what that offer was, but they made an offer to Melvin Gordon. They felt like was was commensurate with his talent, his ability, his, his contributions to the team. And I mean, in all their other negotiations with other players like Philip Rivers, like Keenan Allen, et cetera. I've never heard of a player or an agent coming on saying the Chargers disrespectful to my client, but when they made the offer to Melvin Gordon, his agent and him both came very publicly and said that offer was just disrespectful, which shows you that they're they're very far apart in what they thought they deserved. Maybe this experience has taught Melvin Gordon some humility, and maybe he's going to go into free agency not thinking he's worth whatever he thought he was worth with the Chargers. That's what but I, I don't know that he's going to come out of it as humble as maybe he should be. Do you? Would you have? In a vacuum, would you rather sign Mark Ingram? Would you rather sign Melvin Gordon? I think I lean Melvin Gordon, honestly. Really? Really? Even if you're close, I definitely take Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram is earning $5 million on average to play for the Baltimore Ravens. I would take Mark Ingram, but even if you're close, even if you take Melvin Gordon from that empty, from that hesitation and the kind of, the, oh, I take Melvin Gordon, you're still not talking $8 million. There's not a $3 million gap there. And I know you wouldn't no, sign, no, sign for $8 million. But here's the thing, if Melvin, if the Chargers made him an offer, and again, looking at the franchise history and how they've negotiated with Philip Rivers, how they've negotiated with Keenan Allen, how they've negotiated with Antonio Gates, they've, they've negotiated with other players that were successful in the National Football League before, and none of them have come out saying the offer was just ludicrous, ludicrous, and they said it was ludicrous. I cannot imagine that the Chargers came into a negotiation with a two-time Pro Bowl running back offering him much less than $8 million if it was less than $8 million. And they're saying it's flat out disrespectful. We're not getting anywhere close to $5 million with that mentality. You know what I mean? So I think Melvin Gordon is going out looking for well above his market price. Probably. I think, uh, I think that 
he's not probably going to find what he thinks he is. And I, I actually, when I was writing the profile, I was trying to survey the NFL and thinking like what team would be desperate enough to pay a guy like Melvin Gordon, the money he might be looking for. And I can't think of one. I honestly cannot think of one. No. Uh, so no, which is, his, which is why I, I started my whole thing with this is cost contingent. Yeah. Because almost definitely if, if you tell me that, that the bucks could sign Melvin Gordon for the Mark Ingram price, I'll take it. Like no doubt, I I would do that. But yeah. I also like Melvin Gordon more than you do. So maybe you would be looking for you know shaving a couple of uh, a couple of million guaranteed off that deal. Now I don't know the total ins and outs as far as guaranteed money in Ingram's deal, but I think they're comparable enough that you can look at Mark Ingram's deal and say, yeah, I would pay Melvin Gordon that. But what what he was apparently asking and, and his market value according to to Spotrac, which of course we know is just a guess. It's it's mm-hmm. an estimation based on comparative players and in stats and things like that. Um there there's no way he should get that kind of money. Right. So he statistically most closely resembles Mark Ingram's production. Obviously, they're not the same kind of a runner, but production value, he statistically matches up closer, closest with Mark Ingram of all the players that they compared him to, and he's making five million a year. Um, the closest, the guy, the guy who makes the closest to what they're projecting Gordon to get in free agency uh, at the time of their deal was Devontae Freeman at when when he was twenty five, signed that five year extension with the Atlanta Falcons. And I don't know about you, but I would take like if you erase what you know now about what happened with Devonta Freeman after the after signing that deal, I would have taken Devonta Freeman at twenty five over Melvin Gordon right now. Um, and he's barely even got over eight million in his deal. So I I would not if I'm the Buccaneers, I'm not even paying attention to Melvin Gordon. Fair enough. And for what it's worth, and I put this in the profile. When Melvin Gordon got the freedom to go and seek a trade, um, you can't say he got no bites, but uh, I spoke directly with his agent and asked him if the Buccaneers had been interested or showed any interest, and he unequivocally said no, the Buccaneers had not shown any interest. Now, they had Peyton Barber, they had Rojo, you know what I mean? So take that with a grain of salt, but at least in early 2019, the Buccaneers were not entertaining the idea of bringing in Melvin Gordon. They also could have been looking at it as why should we spend draft capital now when we know where this is headed and we can sign up for a free agent. Yeah. So take it with a grain of salt, obviously, but I, yeah, I can't get behind it. Can't do it. I know you can't, but you know, and, and our listeners should know, obviously I know David's feelings on Melvin Gordon, but he also know like I didn't pick Melvin Gordon strictly just to give David a hard time here. Like David knows Going back to you know preseason back at you know the end of last summer, I do like Melvin Gordon. I'm a Melvin Gordon guy. I yeah. I really like him a lot. So I would be ecstatic if the Bucks signed him again, hinging on on what it would cost. But you know, and hopefully if that comes to fruition, David comes around and he decides he's a Melvin Gordon fan. But you know, all that matters is at the end of the day is if if Gordon helps lead them to a Super Bowl run. And I think if that's the case, then Obviously, David would be on board. Oh, I would love to cover a Super Bowl run. So yeah, if Melvin Gordon's part of that. Then hey, more power to him. And and to be honest, I mean, I liked Melvin Gordon a lot coming out of Wisconsin. I really liked what he brought to the table. I really liked his upside. I just the biggest thing for me is I, I really do. I feel like he's peaked. Maybe he is. 
Maybe he has, but yeah, last year cost him a lot of money, and it'll be interesting to see how much of that humble pie he uh, he's wolfed down heading into this free agency period. But David, buddy, I think that's going to do it for this bonus episode talking about the offensive free agents as we head into the free agent frenzy. We did offense, so you all know what that means. Coming tomorrow, we got the defensive free agency six-pack primer where David and I are going to do the same thing. And hopefully, hopefully our lists don't match up position for position all the way down because did not plan that at all. I had my list, and and apparently David and I were just along the same lines of thinking with different players. But coming up tomorrow, we attack the defense. Until then. Please check out David's free agent spotlight on Melvin Gordon over at BucksNation.com, dropping at 9 o'clock this morning, as well as all the other coverage about the Buccaneers. Yes, right over there at BucksNation.com. Send us your voicemails to 813-444-5841. Follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Hope you all have an absolutely amazing Saturday, and we thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked on Bucks.